0: Reminder, the hosts of this show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said on the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed.
1: Hello and welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. This is Matt Walters here with Mike Frost and David Lee. And today we are going to discuss what to do if you come across a lump sum of money. Maybe it comes in the form of a pension. Maybe it's an inheritance. Maybe you sell a property. This is a question we get a lot here. Win the lottery. Win the lottery. We can't, can't forget that one. Yeah, we've come across that a few <laughs> That's times right. actually. That's so, right. So um, it's a question we get a lot here at the office, so we wanted to talk on that today. But before we get started and jump into things, Mike, David, how are you guys doing today?
2: Doing great, Matt. Doing fantastic, man. Yeah.
1: Awesome, awesome. So, okay, so let's jump into it. So this is, like I said, this is a question we get a lot. You know, someone comes into a lump sum of money, maybe they just retired and they have a pension and they have the option to take it in the form of income payments or a lump sum, or maybe they get an inheritance, sell a house, um, you know, win the lottery, whatever it might be. What are... um what might be some some common questions or concerns or things that you talk through with someone that you know comes to you with those types of things, David?
0: Well, the the number one question is the obvious one, which is simply: should I take the lump sum or should I, you know, string it out in monthly lifetime income payments? So,
1: talking about with like a pension, yeah, like with a
0: yeah. like with a pension, for example, that's probably the most common one that we see here at Mach One. Uh, for example, let's say Um, a common one we see a lot is with a teacher. Teachers are one of those few career fields left where they still have pensions, right? And so they get to this point in their career where they're ready to retire and they might have something called T-DROP, which stands for Teachers Deferred Retirement Option, if I remember correctly. And so they have an option to take this lump sum pension amount, or they can roll it in and combine it with their pension and get a monthly lifetime income check from it. And so that's a common question that we see uh, from teachers is, hey, should I take the lump sum or should I roll it into my pension? Or another very common one we see is if, if uh, your company, let's say you've, ha- you've been a participant in a company pension plan for years, <clears throat> and they get to a point, a lot of companies have been doing this lately, where they want to kind of unwind themselves from that liability, that's a long-term liability and an uncertain liability on their uh, balance sheet. And so they may end up offering you a buyout, a lump sum buyout of that pension. And so a lot of times folks will come to us wondering whether they should take the lump sum or or keep the pension.
2: So Dave you just talked about two different types of pension you talked about a government funded a state funded one yep backed by the taxpayers and then you got a private company one. so two big differences there for lots sure. of different risks involved with both of those
0: for sure uh, for example with the with a private with a private company pension plan, if you take the pension versus a lump sum buyout, you've got the risk of the, the business continuity risk, if you will, of that business continuing to stay in business because ultimately they need to stay around for the rest of your life or if you take joint life for the rest of you and your spouse's life to make sure that that, that pension is still going to be viable for you.
2: So a pension, different than a 401k program, a pension is an asset of the company, of yes. a private company where a 401k, actually the owner is the individual.
0: Huge difference.
2: So if that company goes out of business, since it's an asset of the company, it goes with yes. going out of business and the client would be left with nothing.
0: Correct. And so that's one, that's one of the reasons why oftentimes we will lean towards taking the lump sum. Another reason though, is because of just longevity risk. So for example, let's say you take a life only uh, pension, and as the name implies, it's, it's going to pay you a monthly income, but only for as long as you live. So what if you you know, have the nightmare scenario where you retire, you get the golden watch and the pension, you live one month and then you die. If you had the single life pension, you're out of luck, right, Mike?
2: So then the person thinks they're going to have this lifetime income and the spouse is left with nothing if it's only on that individual's life. Whereas if they rolled it over, into an ira or something like that they have the asset there whether they die or not that money is still there well the risk to that though is if they put it in the market market could go down they could might they won't have that guaranteed piece of it that's true
0: that's true and that and there's there's a lot to be said for that we'll talk we'll hit more on that here in just a minute but the other the other risks we talked about what if you take the life only pitch and but what if you take the, the joint and survivor, which is what most folks do if they take a pension, they wanna make sure that not only are they covered for life, but they, most people wanna make sure that their spouse is covered for his or her life as well. So, but even in that situation, there's a risk, right? Because what if, what if you both, again, God forbid, die in a car accident or something together at the same time, or you both just live shorter than an average life expectancy for whatever reason. Now at the second death, the kids get nothing, right? So most people want to make sure that whatever they've worked for during their lifetime goes to their kids. It may not, it's probably not most people's primary objective. Most people tend to, their primary objective tends to be, I want to make sure that what we've worked for lasts for as long as we live and we can live at the desired lifestyle that we've worked for. And if there's money left over to go to the kids, I want to make sure they get it. Well, if you take a, even if you take a joint and survivor pension, there's no money by definition, there's no money left over to go to kids at the second death so it's another reason why we tend to come down on the side of of taking the lump sum buyout
1: right i think one thing important to keep in mind is just like any investment or financial decision there's risks either way and just weighing those risks and figuring out what your goals are you know it's not going to be the the exact same solution for everybody if you're someone who has another pension or maybe you have a really solid social security then you know the pension income piece of it may not be nearly as attractive as compared, you know, compared to someone who has no guarantee income, That's maybe right. that monthly income looks a little bit better for them.
0: That's right. Or, or a lot of times what we'll end up doing, and I've, I've done this numerous times through the years where someone's had a lump sum buyout from a pension. We might actually take a portion of that lump sum and buy what I call a private pension with it, where we'll actually put that money into a deferred annuity that has a lifetime income guarantee on it, but it's in an annuity where if they die before they tar- start taking the income or they, d- they both die before all the money that they put into the product is used up, whatever is left goes to the kids. Well, that's, that's better than a joint and survivor pension, typically, because again, if you take joint and survivor and you both die, there's no money left over.
2: I know somebody real close that has done exactly that and are tickled to death with that product, actually do different products. So that that is a great option if you don't want to leave it with the company. There's a couple other things to think about, too, is what if you take a, a pension from your employer and you have health insurance tied to it? So. There's other things you need to be considered. of. Now, if a company does go out of business, there is something called the Pension Benefit Guaranteed Corporation. Now, they will cover pensions up to $69,750 for a 65-year-old retiree in 2020. If you're older, they'll cover more. If you're younger, cover less. So it, it, it won't be completely go away if that company goes out of business.
0: Correct. And the PBGC, the Pension Benefit Guaranteed Corporation, is backed up by the taxpayers of the United States. So it's about as secure as you can get, but uh, but it definitely doesn't cover 100% of, of your pension if your pension goes into default. So that's that's one of the risks, we kind of covered that, that there's if you take a pension, there's always a risk that your pension could go into default. Uh, if you take a joint or, or, or a single lifetime pension, there's a risk that you could live shorter than an average life expectancy. And so you get less than what it w- should be worth at fair market value, but there are other risks also, Matt. Right? I mean, there's market risk. We kind of talked about that. So, what if you take the lump sum out of it, which typically means you're invest. Maybe, like I said earlier, maybe we're investing a portion of that in a what I call a private pension, which is a, a for the most part a no risk annuity. We always have to add the disclaimer that the uh, that any annuity is only as good as the claims paying claims paying ability of the under underlying company. So you want to make sure you're dealing with a good company, but there are other risks involved with, um, with taking a rollover. Right.
1: Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, one, one risk that maybe you don't, people don't often think about, but depending on the person, the client who you're working with is just spending risk. Yeah. Right. I mean, depending on the lifestyle habits and the decisions that someone's made up, up until that point, point, um, you know maybe they're not someone who's best equipped with a large sum sum of money um or maybe that at least needs to be taken into account and planned for, sure. for. um because everyone's habits and you know decision making processes are look different, and so um if you've proven over the last thirty or forty years you can't handle money that well. Then we need to talk about that before we choose to, you know, just get this lump sum.
2: It's a great point, Matt. In 2016, the Harris Poll did a study on this and said that 21% of retirement plan participants who took the lump sum spent it all in five and a half years.
1: Yeah, I mean, that we're I mean we're consumer driven economy. David talks about it all the time. So our natural tendency and natural desires is, is going to be to consume and spend. You know, a lot of our a lot of people are not that way. You know, um, but It's a conversation that us as advisors need to have with our clients. But even
0: even if, let's say, um, we run across someone that that is, they know that they're not a spin-through. They know that maybe they're not the the best money manager, and so they want something that's only going to pay them a monthly income for life. Well, that still doesn't pigeonhole you just into taking the company-provided pension. Because again, you still have those underlying risks that you talked about, Mike earlier, which is you know the company default risk, uh, your own longevity risk. So you could still avoid those two risks by doing what I call buying the private pension plan. right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And one thing that we've done in the past that I think can it's something to consider for people is, you know, you said most, David, you said most people choose the um, the joint, joint survivor, survivor yeah. which is true. But if, you know, if it's someone who's still in good health and doing some insurance planning around it, then maybe you can, you
0: can choose to survive, uh, the, the single life, single life only. Can you kind of explain that? I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, this is, we actually have software that can illustrate the benefits of what I'm about to explain as well. But imagine a scenario where let's say you're in, you've, you've been offered this lump sum or excuse me, you've, you've, you're coming up on. A decision point in your retirement where you've not been offered a lump sum, you just have a pension. Okay, your your choices are typically going to be: Do I want it to be last to last for my lifetime, or my lifetime and my spouse's lifetime combined? That's called a joint and survivor uh, pension. Well, what if you're like you alluded to, Matt? What if you're in good health? Oftentimes, you can buy a life insurance policy, like a term life insurance policy. And the cost for that term policy is typically going to be cheaper than the difference between the single life annuity difference versus the joint life annuity difference. And that way you could take the single life pension benefit, which is typically, which is going to be higher than the joint life and still be, still have the peace of mind that you're still covering your spouse. If you die first, because he or she will get that lump sum tax-free death benefit, which will offset the amount of income they're losing from taking the single life.
2: So Dave, let's unpack that. Let's do an example. So if I was going to get a thousand dollars a month, if it was just on me, if I did it for myself and my spouse, it was going to be $700 a month. So there's a $300 difference. What you're saying is if I can buy enough life insurance for less than $300 a month, it would make more sense to take the single life, buy the life insurance, and then now we're covered. Yes.
0: Well, to add a little bit of color to that. Yes, that's the that's the idea. But you would have to say, well, how much life insurance do I have to buy? Well, the amount of life insurance you had to buy would have to be enough to cover the amount that the spouse would lose if you had taken the joint life because the spouse wouldn't get the thousand a month, right? They'd get the 700 a month. So you figure, well, how much is 700 a month in over the course of of a year? was like $8,400. So how much money would I have to have lump sum earning, let's say, hypothetically, a 4% interest rate, just to, to pick a relatively safe interest rate, how much money would I have to have in a lump sum where if I was earning a 4% interest rate on it, it would be generating that same 8,400R a year payment. And that's how much life insurance you would need to purchase and then you calculate, well, how much would that life insurance policy cost? If that cost is less than the $300 a month difference that you gave in your example, then you're better off taking the single life and purchasing the required life insurance.
2: And so that's how we can help clients, Matt, like you mentioned earlier. And David, you said we had software that can do that before you make any of those types of decisions. Because once you pick one, you can't undo it. Right. So before you make those decisions, Meet with someone like us and let us work through the numbers just to make sure the decision you're going to make is going to be the right decision for you long term.
1: Yeah, it,
0: absolutely. It's a it's there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, and it's a big big decision. And and just to add just a tad bit more to that, um, mm-hmm. where where it can be really beneficial, just to make it clear, is let's say you did end up taking the single life pension benefit. In that case, well now you're getting a thousand a month for life as long as you live as opposed to what would have been $700 a month. Well, what if, if you die first, then obviously your spouse gets the life insurance to take care of him or her. But what if the, the spouse, the other spouse dies first? Well, now you've got 1000 a month for the rest of your life, whereas it would have only been $700 a month for the rest of your life. So it, it's what we call m- pension maximization. You, in, in the right si- situation, if you've got good health, Oftentimes, you can maximize your pension benefit by doing that. But like you were about to say, you need to lead turn that, uh, to use a fighter pilot term. You need to look at that at least 90 days prior to having to make a decision because it takes some time to go through underwriting.
1: Sure, absolutely. So I'm going to throw us for a little bit of a loop here. We've been talking about pensions and lump sums. What if somebody comes across... You know what if what if somebody wins a scratch off right? You go to the gas station, buy a three dollars scratch off, and you win a hundred grand or or you have an inheritance. Maybe you um, somebody left you some money. We get this a lot, right? It's like I've got a hundred thousand dollars. What do I do with it? Maybe I still owe some money on a car. Maybe I still... Parlay
0: it into more
2: lottery tickets. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Scratch yeah. that 100000
1: divided by $3 buys. How many scratch-offs? Yeah.
2: You know, Matt, we do have clients that have one scratch-offs. Yeah. Up to a million dollars after they pay the tax. They have about $650,000. And their question is, what now?
1: Right, right.
2: So, so, so Mike, walk us through that. Say somebody
1: wins... $650,000. Let's, let's, let me, let's me just do this. Let me build a scenario okay. and you walk us through it. So we've, we've got a lottery winner, $650,000. They're 55 years old and they have $100,000 left that they owe on their mortgage. No other debt and their goal is to retire at 60. Walk us through. Obviously, there's you would need to know a lot more before you get into decision-making mode. But walk us through kind of your thought process and what we would talk about with that potential client to make those decisions.
2: Well, after uh, facilitating financial peace classes for 15 years, obviously we're going to get out of debt, especially a mortgage debt. You'll hear some people say, well, if you, you can make, what depends on your interest rate. Well, what we're missing there is the risk. So if I can go ahead and pay that mortgage off, and now I have $550,000 left, then I'm going to take that 550 dollars and invest it. What if the market does what it did like this year, and it goes down 30%? Oh, it doesn't matter. My house is paid for and now my budget is much less too, so I need less to live on long term. So, first place, in my opinion, would be to absolutely pay that mortgage off, regardless of their interest rate.
0: Now, I like the way you. I've heard you say this several times, Mike. If you had to, if you had to take a loan out, go ahead and finish that.
2: Thought. So the question is, just like this one, I've got a right. hundred thousand in the bank, and I got a hundred thousand dollar mortgage, and which one should I do? And the question I always say is I flip it to them and I say, okay, if your house is paid off, would you borrow a hundred thousand dollars to put in your savings account? Almost everybody says, well, no, that would be crazy. It's the same thing. That's right.
1: Yeah. So what if, what if you come across a lump sum of money, you know, you're going to need it. Let's say in a relatively short period of time, 12 months question, we get a fair amount is what do I do with this money? I know I'm going to need it in six, 12, 18 months. Where should I put it? Should I invest it, right? Should I go, where where should I put that
2: money? Well, most definitions of investing means you're not going to need the money for at least five years. So in this case, it should go to savings. It should go to someplace that's safe, make you a little bit of interest. Uh, We have a client that's getting ready to build a house. Has a nice sum of money, but no, we're not investing that. That's going to go to something safe where he knows in a few months when he's getting ready to pay for the house, he can access it.
1: Yeah, needs to stay liquid, stay safe, because there's, you know, the volatility in the markets. Who knows what's going to happen over a three, six, 12 month period?
0: It can go either way. That's right. I mean, worst case scenario would be you've got this lump sum of money. You're wanting to, you're needing it maybe in 18 months to build a new house. And in that period of time, the market drops 30% and does not recover by the time you're ready to build the house. Well, now you're either, now you're either homeless or you're looking at building a smaller house or, or, or something. I don't know. You, yeah. So you don't, Bottom line is you don't want to invest any money in the market that you're gonna need in the next few years.
1: Yeah, Mike, well you said you put it one way right before we got on here. You said, Yeah, if if you're okay with having one extra bedroom or (laughs) two fewer, well,
2: (laughs) depends on what size of house you want. So if you're okay with downsizing or upsizing, yeah, then you can invest. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So something else they should do too, man. If they went ahead and paid off their debt, we should actually they want to build an emergency fund too. Because we never know what's coming down the road. And then we can start talking about investing. And you know what? They may want to do something fun too. Take a little bit of that money and go have a little bit of fun, but still take the majority of it and plan for your future.
0: And what's a good rule of thumb for how much should be in that emergency fund?
2: Three to six months of expenses, not of income, but expenses. And again, Mm -hmm. if you have no debt, your expenses come way down. And then your emergency fund fund doesn't have to be that big. That's right.
1: Right. All right. Any other points on that? That's all I've got on this.
0: Yeah. Last point I would make is if you find yourself in one of these situations that we've talked about, uh, lottery winners, You know, I'm sure there's lots of lottery winners listening to the, listening to the podcast. Uh, or if you, more realistically, if you get offered a pension buyout or something along these uh, lines that we've talked about today, you can go online to our website and you can find out more information. Scroll down to where it says, Retirement, Mach 1 Retirement Flight Planner and click the get started button and it'll give you more information on how we can help you
2: and this can uh, involve all types sizes of money it could be a $25,000 inheritance a two million dollar inheritance if you're not used to that uh, what we have found and I'm sure all of you two have seen it uh, when people come into a large sum of money and don't have a plan that money leaves them uh, and if you want to protect that money and especially if it's an inheritance, you want to do what that person meant for you to do with it. Uh, develop a plan. Come to Mach One. We'll help you sit down. We'll look at all the options. Everybody's situation is going to be different, and so we'll help you walk through all those questions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I know one, one advice I've always been um, I've always been given from mentors is you know anytime a big dis- something big happens, maybe maybe don't make any decision at yeah. all for a period of time. You know, set on it for three to six months. Um, and don't the last thing you want to do is jump into a decision regardless of what it is that's
2: right
1: mike thought of the day what do you have for us today yeah man
2: we got one from ben franklin failing to plan is planning to fail
1: excellent very appropriate with today's conversation so
2: as always we want to say thank you to
1: natalie our marketing director and producer. She's really the brains behind the operation. That's so right. we, we give her all the credit. Uh, as always, submit any questions that you have on our website, you can go to the podcast section, or you can email us directly at podcast at mock one financial.com. That is it for today. We appreciate you listening to the podcast and we look forward to you joining us next time on the mock one market moment.
0: Mock 1 does not provide tax or legal advice. You should speak with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. For full disclosures, please visit www.mock-1financial.com disclosures.